This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog, and with me today are three special guests. First, we have the ever-present Ted Lord. Ever-present and non-medicated tonight. <laughs> yeah! Which is helpful <laughs> for being cognizant and also aware of your actions. <laughs> yes, that could be a whole other podcast topic. Yes. Things you wish you never said. <laughs> we will not refer anyone to that podcast. Shall not Good. be. You've removed it from your site, right? Right? And you yes. edited it out, right? Yes. Wink, yeah. wink. <laughs> Second, we have Elijah. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm, I um. You're doing okay, not great, not good, not bad. Yeah, I'm pretty in the middle right now. So, if life were based on a five-point number system, you would say you're a three <laughs> out of five. I'd say three point <laughs> five at the moment. Wow! Well, climbing the ladder of happiness there. That, that's that's about as ranking for most video game reviews. <laughs> He added half stars, which is basically means he just rated himself a 7 out of 10. Moving on. <laughs> we have another special guest. He is royalty. Welcome. Oh, not this again. David Dorothy. <laughs> it's the internet. They're going to know it for forever now. You are doomed. Oh, great. Now I got another one. Hi. Hello. How are you? I am good, considering that my name was never mentioned. <laughs> yeah, I did. Elijah just talked over me. What is it? I don't know the name. Dot David. Dot David. David Doherty. Yeah, I'm David Doherty. David Doherty. Oh, Sir David Doherty. Yeah. Oh, I see. Uh, yes. uh, or Colonel or Duke. Esquire. 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 That means he's a lawyer. Does that? Oh, that's what that means. I yeah, that, certainly that means, hope not. Yeah, it means you have legal. Uh, profession. Yeah, it means if I write a contract in blood, you can notarize <laughs> it and make sure. I haven't legal. asked my wife that yet. Yeah, what the heck? She teaches business law too, so I was looking for that information because I needed somebody to write something in blood. Does it have to be your blood? Um, be- actually, no. You can write it as long as you sign a contract. It's called a holographic contract. It can be written on anything with any kind of writing. Uh, as long as it's witnessed, I mean, yes. As long as it can it's be written on Chris's blood. So, like, let's say I stabbed you, and then I wrote a contract with your blood. It would technically be okay as long as somebody was witnessing it. Of course, I would also be uh, liable guilty of for, assault. Yeah, assault, <laughs> yeah. murder, something like that. But uh, you know, at least the will would be. Uh, you know, well, if I'm writing your will, maybe. Okay, I think I'm getting way too far off topic. Yeah, that <laughs> wasn't our fault this you're time. Are you disturbing amount of detail into this? Are you making up for Ted not being out of it? You guys no, say the weird things now. It's just a hypothetical. It's just a hypothetical. Goodness. Uh huh. It's hypothetical. That's what they always say. <laughs> well, at least yeah. it wasn't us, Bonnie, trailing this time. Nope. It was me. <laughs> so, what is our topic today, and what will we talk about? I think the topic was something in the vein of inaccessibility in video games. I thought it was royalty in video games. <laughs> oh, I'm totally unprepared now. Uh, uh, Princess Zelda. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, 
Um, David, when he plays, we fit. <laughs> cricket, cricket, cricket. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be feeling this next time I play Clippers 2 with him. Well, you should rest easy in the fact that you brought it upon yourself, and only you can take responsibility for your own sins. I didn't bring it, Elijah did. <laughs> I actually, would have said you nothing. were the one who told us way back in the day that you actually found out that your family was royalty at one point. Yeah, way back in the day when I went to Ireland, okay? <laughs> yeah, we're still waiting for those pictures, by the way. Oh, you're not. Yes, we are. Look what you've done, Ted. Now we're you way see? off topic again. You see, now, David, I think what you're experiencing here is the same thing I experienced last podcast where because I said one thing – you know, now people don't let it go. They don't forget it, and they just constantly bring it up. So, well, drop kicking <laughs> women and being descended of royalty are kind of significant things. They can actually be connected to, probably. Yeah, because uh, it's very hard to drop kick people in the middle of the streets. <laughs> <laughs> it's very royalty, inaccessible. Royalty could do whatever they wanted, though. They'd be like, "Come here, royal subject, stand still while yeah. I." Prepare my drop kick. No, my flying <laughs> jump kick. That that would go over great. They go over real well. Yeah, take off. Anyway, your all right. What is the real subject? It has nothing to do with royalty and video games. It has yeah, to do our with subjects what? Subjects tonight are inaccessibility in shooters, fighting games, and um, strategy games, and competitive maybe games? multiplayer. Competitive multiplayer, I think, would be a good way to put it. Uh, but it's not just competitive multiplayer, really. It's not limited to that, but I think those are the genres in which people are the most intimidated to actually get into. Because or, they either lack good tutorials or they have all these elements which are kind of like building upon and iterating upon things that have already existed for decades. <laughs> like, say, just Street Fighter off the top of my head. Street mm-hmm. Fighter Two basically created the modern fighting game. And games since then have not really simplified. They've been trying to add more stuff on top of it, which has pleased hardcore fans, of course. But it's left everyone else who doesn't have an arcade or friends to play with or giant tutorials kind of in the dust. Or arthritis. Yeah, or that. Because I can't play fighting games. It just hurts my my wrist and my hands. Or we just want to play on a keyboard. There are those of us who just want to do that. And you're, like, completely wrong for playing a fighting game on a keyboard. Yeah, my, current, my kill streak with Deathstroke and Injustice says otherwise. Yeah, you're playing against the AI. Please, don't tell me. <laughs> you're playing against the AI and you're going to say, I'm, my game is impressive because I played with a keyboard. I'm not saying my game is impressive. I'm saying that my game is confident and I can actually control it. Go play online against other people. Oh, oh wait. There's online's no one broken. playing because... Spark, not Spark Unlimited, whatever their name is, who made the Conduit games really screwed up the multiplayer system on PS4, PS5, and PC. That's unfortunate. Mm. (laughs) But anyways, how do do you fix this kind of problem without sacrificing the depth of those games? Well, first things first, fix the tutorials. Yeah, but of course, what kind of tutorials? Do we mean like dry tutorials where they just give you reams of text because this is kind of what blaze blue and guilty gear no 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 if anything it needs to be the 
it needs to be a natural learning curve. This is the one problem fighting games have over most other games because a lot of other games, like shooters, you get a single-player campaign usually or some kind of interactive tutorial where you just work through the things. But fighting games, no matter how you build it, unless it's done like, you know, like Anarchy Reigns where it also works as a 3D brawler, you can't just introduce the player to the game mechanics and let them slowly learn everything. In a fighting game, the AI and everything will demand... No, you need to know what you're doing, and you need to figure it out all at once. Because yeah, like right now, which is unfortunate, I think it's partly because of where they come from, which is the arcade scene. It was kind of assumed you were going to play against other people, and then when yeah. you lost, you'd go back in line and then wait again to put another quarter in to play again. Plus, there's yeah. as I said, it was coin op. Yeah, which has kind of I don't understand why that part has stayed with it. It's probably because Japanese arcades still exist. It's true. And just because something is coin-op does not mean it's any simpler or if it's old. I mean, I remember seeing Defender in the arcades, and all the buttons and the joystick related to that game blew my mind. And watching people play, it looked like they were typing 60 words a minute. (laughs) And it was amazing. And I still can't play that game worth anything except on the Atari 2600. Yeah, and that has a high skill cap. I mean, even Pac-Man has a high skill cap. Especially if you want to go, like, all the way and then break the game because you know all the levels and how to abuse the system. (laughs) Well, in the 80s, I bought a book where basically you memorized two patterns and you could play Pac-Man indefinitely. Wow. Goodness. Yeah. I was good at the first pattern, but, you know, by the time you got to the second one, it was hard. I mean, it was just so fast. You you couldn't take the time to learn it because you would die quickly if you messed up. Does that have anything to do with what we're talking about, yeah. though? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. That's like an optimal strategy for a, for a game, right? You want to stay yeah. on the console as long as possible. Yeah. You really would like for a game, though, to be more complex than just learning two patterns. Yeah. For a long time. So, well, you only have so much when you have a rudimentary AI. And the same maze every time, too. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Didn't they make it better with Miss Pac-Man? Oh yeah, they've got yeah. They've had several more. Do you mazes. know the story behind that? What, again? Yeah, that was a hack, I think. Yeah, believe it or not, Miss Pac-Man is one of the first total conversion mods to ever exist. Yeah, that is correct. Really? Seriously, mm-hmm. a game former had an article about. It. I'd look it up. It's an interesting story. Huh. Yeah, it is worth looking it up, and I forget where I heard it as well. But it might have been a documentary about video games. But um, yeah, it was a mod of the original Pac-Man game and obviously turned out to be better than the original. Yeah. So that happens too. Maybe that's, that's an element here that we could actually consider even with these modern games is, uh, especially in the world of PCs where people can modify and sometimes produce the things that the game is lacking. Actually, you're reminding me of uh, Pac-Man championship edition. Yes. I have super great. It's super great. That is. I mean, the mazes are huge. Yeah, it's, it, the guy who made Pac-Man, right? Toru <laughs> Iwatani, I think his name is, right? He was, like, thinking for 30 years, how do I improve this game I made? And that's basically the result of it, which is, I mean, there are, like, simple changes, really. The five-minute time limit, and then <laughs> being able to grind on the things for faster turning speeds, and then the giant lines of ghosts that'll follow you through the maze... But, like, all of these things are very simple and add depth to a game that's pretty accessible by itself, right? Because it's still basically Pac-Man. 
but yeah, it really is. But it's Pac-Man with more depth and more complexity and more strenuous game modes and time limits and stuff. So it kind of retains that same element of being an accessible game without kind of alienating the audience of Pac-Man people because everybody seemed to have enjoyed it when it came out. It still had the element of wishing you could continue or you wanted to play again. As soon as you were done, you're like, oh, I could do it better than that. Yeah. And And put another virtual quarter into it. And the time limit's good because it kind of ensures that it's still played like the original game without, like, you know, having to play for, like, 12 hours straight until the game can't record your score anymore. (laughs) It's reminding me of something I've been thinking about with multiplayer games because, specifically with shooters especially, it's something I've had an issue with with game journalism itself is that there are a lot of journalists who suck at competitive games. Yes. And they all (laughs) gravitated around games like Evolve and Titanfall. The thing is... The differences between these games and other shooters that released in the same time frame, it's actually very subtle, the differences. Titanfall is more uh, out, out there, but a lot of what these games are doing, and Halo 5 Guardians is doing it as well, is mainly they're just doing the thinking for you that you normally would have to in these games. Like Halo 5 Guardians, there's now a there is now squad chatter that's just generated by the AI that will tell you when things are happening, when kills are made and stuff like that because a lot of people just aren't used to picking up a shooter because the real secret to most games, if there's a heads-up display and there's a mini-map, yeah, your eyes need to be more on that mini-map than they need to be on you. You need to know what that map is like and that, that's actually how I play with some games. Like with, say, when I was playing Crisis 3, I was stealth-focused, so my shots were silent, and I would be sneaking around, so I'd watch the minimap. If I saw a red blip, I knew, okay, there's an enemy, I'm going to go kill him. Then my eye would turn back to the actual gameplay happening on screen. But a lot of people, they're focused on trying to act like they're actually there. They're focused on the very center of the screen. All the information is outside of it. So games like Titanfall, Titanfall is constantly trying to accommodate that by having lots of bots and stuff appear on screen in that area, so you have something to do even if you aren't directly contributing, anything that is significant, it'll pop up in, your, in the center of your view. The same thing happens with Team Fortress 2. Huh. You see it, it's a very distinct issue that a lot of people seem to have. And the thing is, Titanfall's actually not that different a game. That's what really bugs me when everyone talks to me about how more accessible it is. The only difference is, it basically took the bots from Star Wars Battlefront 2 and stuck them in a, a MOBA-ish shooter. That's all that really happened. And the calling things out and constantly reminding you of the stuff, that was also done in Left 4 Dead and subsequently done in Evolve. Well, I didn't much. find Titanfall very accessible. Really? Explain. Well, I did go through the tutorial. Somebody loaned me the disc, so I at least wanted to give it a try since he you know, loaned me the game itself. And so I did go through the tutorial, and I think that's the part that's not multiplayer. And then the idea of me going against other people and just probably getting killed again and again. And I did. I did a match. And guess what? I got killed over and over and over again. It was a frightening prospect. I I was like, why am I doing this? This is not enjoyable to me at all. So after that match was over, and I'm sure I didn't help my team one bit. I have a question. Do you die a lot in single-player games? 
I don't like to, but I do sometimes at, at certain points in the game. What yes. is the difference between dying in a single-player game and dying in a multiplayer game? This is something I've been trying to lock down. because Well, if it's a team, then I feel like I'm letting people down by my inexperience. Yeah. But inherently in a game like Titanfall, you are not dragging your whole team down because there's small team sizes. So, act, And with the small. numerous amount of AI... Small team sizes exacerbate the contributions of individual members. Actually, it really doesn't in Titanfall. It, I would believe the weird contradictory you. thing. It's the weird contradictory thing that it actually isn't that big a deal. I've seen matches handled by, you know, there are four people on the team actually doing something. There are two people who are doing pretty much nothing. And there's also the addition of modes such as attrition. Attrition doesn't matter if you are killing players or if you're killing bots, Ted. If you are just killing the That's same grunt shoulders, soldiers, and you're just doing whatever damage you can, you're still actually contributing. In fact, that's actually what you're supposed to be doing over killing other players. I'll, and on top of that, i, I got to be honest, almost any multiplayer game of any kind, there's going to be a failure rate. I've, I, speaking personally, I died a ton in Killzone 3 before I got decent at it. I mean, like, I might pull out 24 kills in a match, I'd have died 30 times. Yeah, but some people don't want to spend like that long to get good at a game. And I, I think this is just comes down to personal preference sometimes. I just wanted to enjoy myself, yeah. and I was not enjoying myself. And I would like to agree with you, except never once have I ever been in a match where I played and did terrible, but yet my team won. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? that's a, I My think, team like, always loses when I'm on it. So the modern multiplayer experience is always team-based, which is necessarily done to reduce the individual contribution of members, right? So it's like, oh, this this you know like this team of guys fights this team of guys right but the problem is this is the kind of thing that creates what we would call toxicity and people get really angry at the one person in the league who yes. sucks yeah it happens in like all games even call duty halo whatever team based no, 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 multiplayer see, happens i hear a lot. about this but i've never actually experienced it all that much in the shooter space outside of team fortress 2 and the thing that's the interesting thing this doesn't happen as much in niche multiplayer games it happens specifically in larger scale, more popular multiplayer yeah, games. the ones that people play. Uh, no. <laughs> oh! Zing! <laughs> I have played easily over 100 multiplayer games. About 10 of those, out of all of those, would probably be, I would ever classify as encountering people being not very polite. And honestly, niche communities are usually more accepting and nicer about the sort of thing, so maybe yeah. that's why I missed well, they, it a bit. But They don't want to push people away. I mean, it's like, if you play street fighter you're gonna get a lot of angry people but if you play like a more obscure fighting game you're gonna get people who are more open and accepting because they're like i don't want everybody in the game to stop playing because <laughs> i'm the best you know so there is that element to it too i wish i could put into words how much i dislike playing competitively against other human beings competitively i didn't say that word correct so like any game like, for example, back in the days of the Wii, I got the Tetris uh, – no, Dr. Mario game that was a, a, you know, a remake of it, and it yeah. had online play. And I played online against a couple of strangers, Were they whatever, really and matched Dr. up. Dr. Mario? Yeah, and, and competitive Dr. Mario. It is actually a lot of fun, especially if you're side-by-side side with a friend playing that you know, on a split screen. Dr. Mario is a great game for that. That one is fun, because as you have success, the other person has more and more obstacles against them. <laughs> Dr. Mario. 
Dude, don't mock my competitive uh, no, 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 Dr. I'm not Mario mocking. love. I, I, so. I, my secret confession, right. I played a Tetris game for the N64. I don't know what it's called, but it was like starring Mickey Mouse. And uh-huh. like it was supposed to be like competitive Tetris. So if you got enough Tetri, right, you would like bounce these gigantic misshapen blocks onto the <laughs> other guy's side, like like huge blocks. And, it's similar to yeah, that. Yes. You know, it's kind of the family destroying part that's really entertaining <laughs> to <Yes>. me. <laughs> but playing online against somebody that I didn't know and I just I, I would lose, even though I would play okay, but I just hate that feeling. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's because I, I was the third brother, so I had two older brothers that crushed me at everything when we were playing games growing up. There was no mercy for me whatsoever. No. I mean, I grew up thinking I stunk at baseball, basketball, <laughs> kickball. School I was hard knocks, man. Man, I'm telling you, it's like I was lucky to get a shot off in basketball without them, you know, swatting it 30 feet away. You know, (laughs) you're young and weak. (laughs) Exactly. So it wasn't until I was a young man that I realized I'm not really that bad at sports. It's actually really interesting that you bring that up because it kind of ties in with uh, some gamer mentalities. Um, See, I'm, I'm the oldest, so I have the exact opposite. I'm good at a lot of things. And when I play competitive games and lose against other players, it kind of triggers something where I want to be better at it. I want to get better. I want to be on an even playing field. So there seems to be two different types of mentalities between gamers. Whereas mine is, what's the use? Uh, They're going to beat me anyway. Yours is, if I keep at it, I will beat that person. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's pretty much the same thing for me. I'm a single, I'm an only child, and as a result, a lot of the time, I've played games by myself. A lot of people talk about how they play multiplayer to play with friends and everything. <laughs> For most of my life, that's never been the case. Almost all of the multiplayer games I've played, I play solo because, one, almost none of my friends seem to have the same multiplayer tastes that I do. And two, because I sometimes actually just perform better when I'm going solo in certain multiplayer games. And just, yeah, I, I grew to like multiplayer more for the mechanical basis than the social basis or anything, so that's why it never really had much of a difference if I'm losing to a human or if I'm losing to an AI. My only concern is, am I losing because of lack of skill or am I losing because the game broke? Because if the game broke, then that's something I'm going to complain about in a review. If I lost because of skill level, then I'm going to walk at it the same way David is talking about, where I just want to do better. If it's, you know, like, is because that's the funny thing. It actually makes me think back to when I was playing Call of Duty Advanced Warfare just the other week when they had it for free on Steam. I absolutely loved the matches where it was just focused on skill and everything and using the jump boosts. But the second they started using the kill streaks, then I actually started to feel like how Ted was. And that's the thing, is that there are certain games like Call of Duty that have mechanics that are just built to turn people off. This is what killed Resistance 3. Seriously, Resistance 3 had some of the worst kill streak rewards ever. Basically... Whoever got the first set of killstreaks, they won the match. There was no debate. There was no question. And it drove so many people away that it was either people who had maxed out their rank three times or complete newbies. There was no middle ground. It completely destroyed the multiplayer base. You know, that's the thing that I don't like killstreaks at all. Oh, yeah. Killstreaks are Mm -hmm. awful. Killstreaks are awful. I like what Battlefield Hardline's doing, though. They're just giving subtle perks for, like, staying alive and or getting lots of kills. That's about the farthest I think anybody should go. You were saying, David? Yeah, David. 
things that kind of frustrate me about the um, skill-based systems is when it is so heavily weighted to one side or after you do reach a certain point, there's no way you can be stopped. I've actually found that a little bit in Counter-Strike Global Offensive during their uh, arms race. You huh. take out someone and then you gain a better weapon. And you can easily see how quickly that can change the tide one way or the other. And to me, that's a little frustrating because as a new player playing against higher level players, I'm not exactly the greatest at some shooters. And as a result, I'm stuck back at level three or four and they're at level 20 already and they're done and good to go. That's why I like games with more of a subtle achievement system or things that you can unlock and yet the things that you unlock aren't so unbalanced that it completely destroys the game. Uh, yeah. For instance, Planet Side 2, where you have um, you have a lot of your different weapons, and they each have their advantages and disadvantages, and everyone starts out with a basic. But it's not so imbalanced that you can't actually earn something. Yeah, you know, and like, I'm thinking about Unreal Tournament and Doom. I think I like those on the basis that the multiplayer has no benefits for the win. I love players. the multiplayer in Unreal Tournament. Yeah, and no snowballing. Like, a player who's good does not magically get benefits for no reason, right? Mm. It's just based upon their skill level. and their Until someone finds a nuclear rocket launcher and then you're all... Yeah, well, you know, you can have, that's a fun element, though. Yeah, <laughs> the nuclear launch, rocket fun. launcher only gets a couple of bullets, which is kind of the main thing that... And you never told me this, David, about our Global Arms Race. I wouldn't be constantly suggesting we play that then because <laughs> I feel kind of the exact opposite. I always felt that Arms Race was the best way to do Counter-Strike because in regular matches, you have to buy guns. You have to choose an investment, and it's a lot heavier. It's like like playing League when, you're, when you have to be like, I need to buy the right guns, I need to buy the right equipment, and it only lasts one life. How is this going to work? Yeah, and it doesn't For really me, teach that you. works a little bit better because that actually – I, you see, I like that strategy element because then I can play around with the different things, figure out what works best. But it doesn't teach I've, you the differences, does it? It doesn't tell you anything other than basic stats. And the thing is, though, it's you're buying blind. I don't like to buy blind. In Global Arms Race, every kill I get a new gun, I can just experiment with it. Unless someone knifes me, I get to keep that gun. That works a lot better for me. I don't care if I'm not at the top of the ladder. There, at the very least... I have just enough control over what I'm doing, and it actually encourages me to try new things. I can try all the guns in an arms race match and actually get a feel for which ones are good. Then after that, I'll actually be ready for a regular match. Hmm. But if I don't do that, then it's like, which gun do I want to use? I'm, I have some friends who regularly play Counter-Strike Source. I pretty much have stuck to like the same two to three guns and loadout that I've had that so far worked for me because it's like, okay, by luck, I managed to poke a working loadout, so I'm just going to stick with this. That is not what I would want to encourage in a multiplayer game. You don't want people sticking to one playstyle. And that's another problem is when people want to succeed, when they want to win, they all follow the same playstyle. This was actually an issue in the Bioshock 2 multiplayer community was a lot of us like to play a variety of ways, but there were like these three guys who insistently only used elephant gun, crossbow, telekinesis and water trap or electroshock. Were those the best things? They could be abused in a certain way on certain maps, but they were not actually the best. A bunch of us, there, there were tons of variants. Like, take, for instance, the grenade launcher. 
You could have a regular grenade launcher, or you could have additional smaller shots that wouldn't do as much damage but could be fired more rapidly, or you could have homing rockets. These were all perfectly viable options that were all incredibly balanced. These guys insisted on, nope, we are only going to play this specific playstyle because it is the playstyle that we like, and it is obviously the best, and I don't know why you people don't do that. All of us found it incredibly unsporting because whenever it came to a map where it could be abused, it would break everything. But these guys insisted on playing that way. And that's also, that's, that, that was also an issue with Resistance 3, the Sniper Elite V2 PC community. It just it pops up in so many games, and it just it breaks it. You know, well, it doesn't Elite. necessarily break it. It's just the game is... Some games are just designed in a certain way that optimal strategies in things that people are very good at, they're just going to play it over and over again because their main goal is to win, which is kind of the point of competitive multiplayer in the first place. That's the primary goal. The secondary goal is to enjoy yourself. But for a lot of people, the competitive aspect is the primary element. So those people will kind of ruin other people's times for just kind of messing around with stuff, but that's the way they like to play the game, and that makes the game fun for them. Now, see, I wouldn't say messing around is the problem, because, going back to Killzone 3 again, I played so much of that darn thing. But, um, I learned that there were certain spots in the map, like, you know, like, okay, it looks like this should just be a 2D texture of a grating, but you actually can shoot through it, and figuring out stuff like that. This stuff didn't break the flow. It didn't break the balance. It didn't dramatically shift who was winning and who was losing. It just was new ways of figuring out how to play the game. With Bioshock 2, it was a blind, religious almost insistence to do it a certain way. Ironic, considering the game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Bioshock 2. (laughs) Bioshock 2. Oh my gosh, I could have... We could have an entire topic on just yeah, but we're not we're not going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's here's a proposed solution. I'm sure that other people have thought of this, but ranking systems. Everybody knows what ranking systems are. They're there to actually to match make people with people of similar skill. But they for whatever work. reason, it never works. It seems to be a defective system, no matter which one I've ever seen. Yeah, why is that? Is there some reason why? I know that some people camp lower level areas just for fun, you know, just to troll people. But why can't elevens be with elevens? <laughs> you know, I mean, how hard is that? Hey, let's have four elevens and then Ted, he's a three. Let's put him in that. <laughs> whoa, yeah. Whoa. Uh. Yeah, I've run into that, too. Honestly, the optimal matchmaking setting is that you have one good player for each team. You have a couple of moderates, and you have some newbies. That's really cool with that, yeah. That's really what you want. There are some games that are trying new things. Like Call of Duty Advanced Warfare actually has a beginner-specific mode that removes a lot of things. It it gives you predefined loadouts. Kotaku had an article about this. That's cool. It doesn't tell you who's who is a human and who is a bot. It's usually like only like four people out of the entire match are bots. It doesn't tell you your kill death ratio. It just simply tells you your score. It tries to just be as casual and positive and constructive as possible as it can be about that. And I think there's potential for that. I really actually I love the Call of Duty beginner mode because when I was trying Black Ops Two, I got really good at playing Black Ops Two when it was free to play because it was like wow. Now that I'm actually playing with people who know about as much about it as I do, I can actually <laughs> succeed. And then I immediately went into the regular matches, and I was able to handle myself. Yeah, it, I have it to provides say, incentives, right? You're getting better at it. It's a feedback loop, right? You mm-hmm. get better, you want to get better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Ted, go go. Ahead. I have to say that I, I am very intimidated by loadouts. 
if that is ever an element of a, of a multiplayer game. As am I. I as am I. I would rather depends on how in depth it gets. For me, it's a matter of is it one life or is if it or is it constant? Sorry, go ahead, David. There are some systems where loadouts will work um, uh, under limited circumstance. I mean, there are those loadout type things. If you think of a traditional MMO, where you have like fifty, sixty different abilities you can choose from, and you can put them in any combination that you want, and that that's too much. I, I don't like that. But loadouts can be nice because it gives you the feeling of you're able to customize how you play based off of your personal preferences and you aren't stuck with one specific set. Like for me, I'm not an up close and personal type of person. I like taking things down from a range. That's just my play style. So if I'm stuck with specific uh, weaponry that is only close range, it's not quite as fun for me anymore. Hmm. So let's say in a game where you don't have loadouts, do you just memorize where the long-range weaponry is spawning on the map? Yes. Okay, yeah. That would be kind of... (laughs) Like, it's an additional skill thing, though, right? Because you know that people are also going to be gaming for the exact same weapons. Not exactly. I'm kind of the oddball. Um, (laughs) If it comes down to it, I do know how to use the other stuff and i can use it but my preference is picking things out from a range simple because it's kind of fun to shoot once and find them jumping around trying to figure out where you're coming from that's <laughs> enjoyable to me yeah and i that's think counter strike has that element where you kind of die in a couple shots so the loadout makes sense instead of like a game where you kind of have a hundred health and then you have armor on top of that or yeah. regenerating armor where the loadout is a little less important regarding your that own shooting choices? right there is, I think, one of the main reasons there's a learning curve in a lot, in a lot of the um, RPG uh, real-time strategy type gameplay. Yeah. Because there are so many elements of percentages and numbers. And if you just look at any of the older versions of, for instance, D&D, um, they have a lot of stats and abilities and armor classes and reflex and all these different things that you actually have to calculate. And people now, unfortunately, can't do math. And (laughs) uh, to say the least, they don't want to go through that process of having to calculate everything themselves. That's kind of something that's been taken out of the board game strategy element and made automated by the computer side of things. Which is why people don't really play RTS games very much, as much as it used to be. I mean, it was super big. Mm-hmm. Like the, uh, There's a reason why I like it, because I enjoy the I enjoy numbers. I do. Yeah. I don't know why, but I do. In build orders and uh, thinking several several moves in advance or several yes. minutes in advance, right? This is why no one plays me in Stratego Chess and Checkers. Yeah, because you're thinking- You're the reason I don't play Stratego in general. <laughs> But you're thinking in advance of the rest of us, right? But a lot of people don't have that mindset anymore, at least in terms of the strategy field. Like, I think a lot of people recently have been playing Crusader Kings 2, which I've heard is highly complex. And a lot of Paradox interactive games are highly complex. And I'm not even sure if it's just complexity for complexity's sake. But there's a lot of elements going on in that game, and the tutorial is just not doing it. (laughs) If you're making a complex game, one, just to be complex, or two, just to include elements that you think should be included, I don't think that's a very good game strategy at all. 
No. I think it should be – I do think that it should be stripped down to its core mechanics. Like, for instance, bring them back to D&D, their new style you have. Oh, for your basic, Which has yeah, kind of aggro mechanics and tanking, like, from MMOs? Um, no, I haven't looked into that one yet. Oh, okay. okay. I'm talking about the one step behind where you have your basic stats, you have your armor class, you have your reflex, will, fortitude, and then you have um, basically your attack and any special um, attributes. That's it broken down to its core. Now, if they started adding tons of other things, like, for instance, if they would add, like, 50 new status or... Um, Oh, what you call it? That's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. But you, you know what I mean. Yeah, they keep building on top of it. If they, if you keep building on top of something, eventually it's going to fall over. You can't make something go that high. Yeah. Does the complexity add something to the game? Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of people get messed up with uh, making games so complex that they only appeal to the most hardcore of a particular audience, which is what I think happened to real-time strategy games. I enjoy watching, say, a YouTube or a Twitch TV of somebody playing a complicated game yeah. and hearing them talk through it a little bit. To understand it, what's going through their mind and why they're doing things. It's almost like they're telling a story. I think that Crusader Kings one, I've watched somebody play that, and I I honestly enjoyed it. It was almost relaxing because it didn't have to worry about me screwing up. I mean, <laughs> the guy was doing a great job anyway, so – I enjoy yeah. watching somebody who's good at something yeah. do I think, something. I think that's why esports are so popular now. It's because there's fun in watching somebody do something very complex vicariously. <laughs> there, it is for me. And mainly because I'm just sitting here thinking all the stuff like, say, competitive multiplayer. I mean, why do I have to like competitive multiplayer? I mean, why can't I like playing the way that I like to play? Well, you can like it from afar. Yeah, and I don't mind that. <laughs> Um, sport. But uh, there's no reason why I have to enjoy competitively trying to shoot somebody if I don't like to do it. I can, I mean, it's a game, right? I can choose to mm-hmm. play games the way I want to play yeah. games. It's yes, not like that, or Ted, play games that work for you. But Ted, yeah. there are t- people who feel in the same camp as you who are taking it a step too far. For anyone like me who wants to see a competitive multiplayer, like say when Bioshock 2 and Dead Space 2 released with multiplayer modes. If you liked that, you got harangued so hard for that. Anyone who dares enjoy a competitive or cooperative multiplayer added to a, at first, single-player game, oh my gosh. It doesn't bother me. The horseradish you will get online. That's what really has actually kind of gotten I do not do any haranguing or horseradishing. I know you're not doing it, but there are lots of people Horseradish is delicious. Are That's you kidding me? That way it's on fire and being thrown at your face. Yeah, I like horseradish. Give me seriously, some horseradish and shave it. I, 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 seriously, single-player gamers, if you're out there, being hateful to any game that dares to add multiplayer, you're turning the rest of us off from your argument because I can understand worrying about a game not being the way that you want it to be. But mm. nine times out of ten, the arguments I've seen for that are completely unfounded. Like the whole, oh, it's taking away resources. Actually, normally it's not. Oh, it's distracting the developer. Oftentimes they hire a second developer. All these things that they worry about have already been handled, but there's so much hate thrown around it, so we never get to see these new ideas. I might not live in those circles, maybe, because I've never seen anyone say, you like Dead Space multiplayer, you're a noob, or something to that effect. That, that, well, you've already said you don't do many multiplayers. 
Uh, try going on a popular gaming site. Yeah, well, they'd uh, rather you play like the game that is designed for multiplayer from the ground up and not so much the game where they came the up with a separate multiplayer mode added onto it. Almost anything can inherently work as a multiplayer game, in yeah. my opinion. Almost anything can. Not everything should, but also not everything shouldn't. And on Every, on should that subject, things. what about fighting games? Because those are exclusively multiplayer for the most part. I mean, technically, there's story mode. But story mode is ancillary to the actual fighting game. <laughs> yeah. I think the true enjoyment of a fighting game does come from playing competitively with somebody. For me, with somebody that you're beside, again, that you can yeah. you know, josh each other a little bit and that sort of thing. I did that back in the days of the Super Nintendo with Street Fighter 2 Tournament Edition, I think is what it was called. And a friend of mine had that, and the joystick pad i thought was really well designed for that game with the shoulder buttons doing the heavier hits yeah it, it made sense to me as as a noob or whatever now i didn't play it forever but i did play it for a couple hours with him and we had a good time yeah he see, was better than me but see what's cool about fighting games is that they are in instantly accessible right everybody kind of understands the concept of two guys girls uh giant mutant creatures whatever right Hitting each other in the face. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fairly universal language. The basic concept makes sense. It's conflict, you fight, right? Buttons do hits, that kind of thing, right? Right. But But there is strategy still there. There is strategy, and as you go further, it gets more and more complex where you figure out how to do special moves and then learning how to link combos together and learning frame data so that you know when to keep an opponent and blocks done for long enough and then figure out how to predict your opponent's moves in advance, knowing all their movesets. And these are things the game does not teach you at all. How many out of the U3 think that you are good at fighting games, generally speaking? I'm not raising my hand. <laughs> I'm not raising yeah. my hand. Nobody is, because fighting games are tough to get into unless you have a community of people that play it constantly, right? So right. you learn all the matchups in the game, or you have an arcade nearby, or you have... A wealth of experience already from reading video, watching videos, playing online, etc. These are not things that generally America has. I was wondering if you are good at one of these games and you do play with strategy, how does it how do you handle a button masher? You know, if it is somebody like me coming in just hitting every button as fast as I can as possible, is that aggravating because there's a chance I could win? Or is there no chance in the world I could win? If the person is really good and knows what they're doing, there's like no chance you could possibly win. That's what I would think because they they would would know know what what to do. And most you might surprise them, I would imagine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think think we actually – That was unexpected. By talking about combos, that – I think that brings me to the thing that I think a lot of fighting games would benefit from and would make them more accessible. Less complex combos, more focus on the meta strategy. Because that's the thing. That's the thing I like about Injustice is mastering to be able to handle medium AI in Injustice. And yes, Zach, you can mock me for that all you want, but You're still. being mocked! <laughs> but because I only had to memorize about eh, six combos and they were all about mm. three button presses to do stroke that's pretty easy to remember okay three key er, three key strokes that i can memorize that i can get used to that i that is about as much thought as i put into any action in a shooter and therefore it's a lot easier for me to keep track of if i'm supposed to keep track of 
Oh my gosh, the amount of combos and something like I, mm. I tried to play Skullgirls back when oh, it was a PS yeah. Plus Skull thing. Skullgirls has a really complex combo system. Yeah, really good, I walked though. away from that real quick because it's like this is beautifully animated. I am never going to play this game properly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now, just gonna uninstall it now. Now there are two schools of thought on fighting game execution, which is mostly what it's called. So the first school of thought is if you predict your opponent's movements correctly and you end up getting that first hit, which is usually called the, like, you know, you get the punish, right? Then if you have, in advance, learned the combo enough to actually be able to hit confirm that combo, however complex it can be, then you deserve to get the max damage from that, right? So you spent the time, you learned the combo movements, all that stuff, you get max punish, good for you. Now, on the other end... That kind of complexity also makes it really hard to play some characters in a fighting game, right? Not everybody can do a 720 motion followed by three punch buttons in within a half second <laughs> to punish somebody with a grappler character. It's just not going to happen. So I could think of at least one game that has made fighting game movements more accessible, and that's the HD remake of Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo which was kind of redesigned by David Serlin, and he... I actually interviewed him. Yeah. I was thinking about it, because the thing is, I keep thinking back to my interview I had with him when he was talking to me about his Game Chess 2. Huh. He actually recommended Persona 4 Arena. Yeah, which is a four-button fighting game, and it actually has very good accessible controls for that kind of Air Dash-related fighting game. Plus, it takes a note from Bayonetta and allows, if you're playing on the easiest mode, you can just hit the same button and still queue up different combos. Yeah, actually, it does an automatic combo thing, right? But Which is cool. Yeah. It's kind of an accessible thing, but it also is very punishable if you know at all what you're doing. <laughs> you know, I'm on a diet, and every time you guys say combos, you know what I think about? <laughs> yeah, I know. McDonald's. Like, actual combos? No, like, yeah, like the pretzels with the cheese inside them snacks. Uh, I'm like, on the way to work tomorrow, I'm going to have to stop at a convenience store and get some combos. (laughs) I think they'll have to have some molasses crumb cake later. Molasses crumb cake? That sounds Oh, yeah. Yeah, Make it a combo. Combine it with something. What would you combine it with? Milk. Milk? Yeah, that's a good combo. Silk milk. How about jello? Come on, soy milk is good, guys. No. I got some no. one time that was chocolate soy milk, but it was hyper sweet. It was really sweet. I didn't like it. I, I don't like soy milk. Don't like rice milk. It just, it's, the consistencies are weird. I don't like them. They are. I, I got used to them after a while. Okay, um, I got to backtrack for a second. Yeah, I, actually, um, I just... The movements... Okay, so Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD remix, right? So the traditional movement for Zangief's kind of like throw move is a 360-degree direction followed by punch. Technically, it's seven. Nobody needs to know that except me because I'm crazy. But in the remake version, it's just a half circle and punch. That's it. So this kind of rewards a player for being able to do just a half circle motion, which is not hard if you practice enough, right? in being able to perform it without having execution errors get in the way, right? So you still get the the uh, ability to feel good about getting the punishment on the opponent without being punished for not being able to execute this devilishly long combo string with so many movements it kind of makes your head boggle. <laughs> so yeah, two schools of thought. I'm not sure which is better, but I think the, the main problem with fighting games is that there's no way to learn these things except through just kind of bashing your head against the wall in practice. Ran- you enjoy random that facts sort of that might tie into random fact that might tie into this. 
short-term memory, you can really only ever remember seven items at a time. Yeah, so you have to do chunking to get those combos down after a while, right? You kind of memorize sets of stuff, <laughs> which is what usually happens to be in Guilty Gear. And that actually is a thing with competitive gamers. If you play a competitive game, if you're playing a fighting game or a competitive shooter, you actually can keep track of more objects on a screen or stuff like that. You actually have more aware, short-term awareness of things moving on a screen, apparently. They, actually, they scientifically tested this. And going completely from that, another thought actually towards making a game accessible is something that I think Assassin's Creed is doing beautifully. You see, back with Assassin's Creed 3, they added a co-op mode called Wolfpack. While in and of itself it has its own competitive aspects to it, it is a full-on cooperative mode where four players work together. Although you can solo it. I've done solo in 3 and 4. It can still be fun. But the key, key thing here is I actually got vastly better as Assassin's Creed multiplayer once I got Assassin's Creed 4 and played the co-op. When I played Brotherhood, I just did meagerly because a lot of the depth and complexity in the stealth system in the multiplayer, it isn't clear when you're doing it against other people because other people are playing a certain way. When you play against bots but are using the exact same rule set because the co-op is built around the exact same rule set as the PvP, it just has a different style of objectives I got so much better at being stealthy and everything. It's why I love playing the assassination mode, which is actually technically the hardest mode because it removes almost every single HUD element. You're not told who's a human and who's not a human. And if you mess up, you get stunned for a couple of seconds and you're open for anyone to kill you. And it's free for all. But after doing the co-op, I would, I would rank up against people who were prestiged. The co-op got me that good at being stealthy and being clever and observing odd behaviors. I will say I did play that uh, with Elijah before, and that one is a very enjoyable mode. Hmm. See, that's a nice way to get people into it, but it still doesn't solve my fighting game problem here, right? How can I get fighting games to be more accessible than they are? <laughs> Build a tutorial like Portal. Like Portal? He's he's going from extra credits in that point because extra credits <laughs> describes Portal as basically being ninety percent tutorials and only ten percent of the game actually not being some kind of tutorial for something. Oh, which that's the is- reference. Huh. Well, that's because it does really have multiplayer, short. but it's not competitive, is it? Uh, you know, Portal, Portal Two has multiplayer. Yes, yeah. competitive. No, I would I love so. if they actually could make a competitive Portal multiplayer. There was a years back. I actually was desperately trying to figure out how to do that. I was even designing up maps. It was like, there's got to be some way to do this. <laughs> You fling turrets at each other. Or try to make each other fall forever. Well, they had that a soccer style mode, actually, for Portal 2, but it's almost, it got mostly cut. I just want to say this. If I was a professional competitive fighting game player, I would so go to Nabisco and say, you've got to get combos to sponsor me. Because <laughs> that would just make so much sense. Yeah, in-game advertising, you could have like... Yeah. You throw yeah. Combos. Combo, now in pizza flavor. Combo breaker. Actually, I really like... Actually, Killer Instinct is really good with its tutorials and stuff. Oh, yeah? Um, well, because Killer Instinct does have like long, 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 long combos. I mean, I, I saw one the other day. It was like 207 hits or something. It's crazy. Wow. What? But the inputs are really easy to do. So it like there's tons of leeway and lag time because the, you know, the big thing about Killer Instinct is the combo breaker, right? So you're kind of predicting your opponent's next move in a combo. And if you guess right, you get the combo breaker. So it's more like a game of uh, guessing when your opponent's going to screw up than it is about just execution the whole time. That that's, makes any sense. That's an Zach, 
I have an answer to your question, your query. And well, actually, uh, Smash Brothers is accessible too, but that's no, a, no, that's a different um, thing. <laughs> our mutual, uh, our mutual friend David Serlin actually comes up again. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to send him a link to this podcast on Skype. <laughs> he comes, he comes up a lot in fighting game stuff. But um, he, have you heard of his game Yomi? Yes, I have. He's got it so that you can. He actually made physical cards for it, and it's now also on iPad. I would love is, to play it. It's apparently only like ten bucks on iPad. So if you have some kind of iOS device, and it's supposed to be coming to iPhone at some point. Awesome. Okay. Actually, I, I actually need to ask him when it's going to be releasing. I was supposed to be reviewing that, but um, from what I understand, there it's a very simple thing. It's you're talking about the combo breaker. That's what reminded me of it. Every time you take a turn in Yomi, you put down one card. You can choose that. You can choose to like block. You can try to counter. You can try to grapple. There's a spe- I forget the rules specifically, but. Each player only gets to make one action, and then it plays out. It's basically rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, it's a fighting game in card form because it has it's a, rock, paper, attack, scissors, lizard, spock. Attack, block, dodge, right? It's more accessible. As a result, it's purely about the strategy. It's nothing about the combos. You yes. basically are playing a fighting game that way then. It's kind of extracted all of the execution requirements, which is kind of what card games can do. Depends. <laughs> Like I played I do a like lot of strategy card there. games for that reason. Oh, do you play Magic the Gathering? No. Okay. He plays Munchkins. Does anyone play Magic the Gathering? Uh, Ted's gone. I think we. I think we turned him off of all of our multiplayer speak. I I have played it before, <laughs> but I haven't played it enough to truly understand it. Yeah, I think that was. I think I wasn't willing to make the money investment to play. No. It. Yeah, I'm sorry, but when you get into card games that requiring you decking out. <laughs> decking uh, <laughs> a bunch of money yeah that was unintentional um it loses its appeal very 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 quickly um for instance like uh Yu-Gi-Oh, pokemon magic the gathering where it's and it encourages you to build your card base yeah. and to me that i i don't enjoy that because it means i'm just gonna sink more money into it that i really don't have to which is interesting because I would have said the same thing, except I'm playing Hearthstone and I'm I'm seriously tempted to spend some money on it. <laughs> there there is a very good reason why uh, microtransactions do so well. Oh yeah, um, and that is exactly why people see something that they really, 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 really want, and instead of trying to work for it, they buy it. They go a little bit faster. Yeah. Um, for instance, Warframe. Warframe oh. has that where you can earn everything, but you can get it faster by buying. Yeah, and also the best cards are usually higher in rarity. I'm not sure if yeah. that makes them unbalanced necessarily because I've technically beaten people with far better deck construction. But I think it's because they're the kind of people that kind of just copy a deck off the internet, right? And then construct all the cards and think they're going to win yep. every time. But like, yeah. so there is a level of skill in CCGs and stuff. But I do, yeah. There's an upper Sorry, limit where you have to spend money at some point to be the best. Yeah, I do not like that uh, mentality or methodology. I, I do like um, Hearthstone and uh, Scrolls by Mojang, the same company that did Minecraft. Um, their their concept is you earn in-game money, and then you have a certain percentage to unlock cards or you unlock them through achieving things etc to me that makes more sense because instead of sinking money into it you earn them through in-game achievements and there are certain combinations that work better than others i mean 
um, for Hearthstone, one of my favorite things is there's a Berserker that um, increases damage every time. And then I use my uh, Priest character, so I get a Bubble Shield, which increases his health, and I can double his health on top of that yet. So I have a creature with 32 health, and then I equal his attack to his health. And so at that point, I have pretty much an unstoppable beast that will crush everything in its path. Yeah, which is awesome, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's again, totally getting, awesome. getting that card, right? And these interactions between cards are what are cool about CCG games, right? There's a certain mm-hmm. kind of weird feedback loop in figuring out how you can get strange card combinations to intersect and maybe not play optimally, but play something cool. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, a- that's why I do the Berserker 2-bubble and then the um, Inner Fire combo. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I mean, it doubles his health twice and then equals his attack to his health. I mean, there, there's not too much you can do against that. Yeah, and I really just want to play Deathwing like every match. You know, that's, that's really all I want to do. <laughs> I just want to drop Deathwing on the board, you know, but I can't because i got to spend money. <laughs> yeah. But the thing, the nice thing about the online card games now is instead of sinking your money into a real deck you can sink virtual money into a virtual deck and really just deck it out that way yeah if you want like i've been just slowly getting daily quests which i'm fine with yep at the moment to me to me that's a little more enjoyable because i'm not uh well i I said this in the other podcast i'm a stingy bugger i don't (laughs) like spending money when i don't have to so just don't spend any money and just kind of earn it right over time Exactly. Although, obviously, they're kind of giving you a value proposition to spend less time if you don't have that time to spend on it. I'll give you a for instance. I haven't bought Guild Wars into this past weekend because I had it 75% off. At $10? $10. (laughs) And that's like free online play. Oh, yeah. And you didn't spend $10? David and I I both very stingy about it. Usually we only – most of the games until game journalism – he and I only got for like five to ten bucks. Most mm-hmm. games. We're talking AAA games. Arkham City, sense. I bought for like seven seventy five. I was like, okay, that's about worth it for me. Yeah, I'm not gonna buy Guild Wars for forty bucks when it's been out for as long as it has. I'm gonna wait till it goes on sale. I mean that that's just but anyway, that's a bunny to go. Moving on. Hmm. What was that Have we was? lost Ted permanently? I don't know. I think Ted might I think he was hungry, so he got combos. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was the problem. We, we made our own combo hungry. breaker. Well, I'm here. Combo breaker. Did you actually get combos? I wish. These are like Weight Watcher snacks. I'm using Weight Watchers right now. <laughs> I am so sorry we're for now you. Pro- we're now showing a product for Weight Watchers. Oh, dear. Uh, These are commercial. No one Pop the barbecue s- potato crisps. They are not quite the same thing I was looking forward to. <laughs> But yeah, I was getting, maybe that's just it. You know, I've been trying to lose a little weight. So I was just getting, I, I totally was diverted from the actual topic. <laughs> to be completely honest, munching is better for you than having large meals anyways. So there you go. Yeah. Actually, if you want something healthy to eat like that, um, I kind of eat am- something in Elijah's room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That'll work. Kettle brand. Yeah. It's actually a healthy brand. It's actually a pretty decent. Um, also, good health foods. Um, veggie sticks. My mom. I, I, yeah, eating. I have some of those. I, I, I might have to go down and get those next. <laughs> okay, there's there's a difference between being healthy and eating in moderation. <laughs> okay, so I guess they kind of go hand in hand instead. Never mind. So I'm going to explain my 
thing about inaccessible games with a metaphor, and I hope this oh, is dear. Work. Okay, so about 90 or 120 days ago, I started doing what is called a uh, one of those 90-day kind of CrossFit-esque workouts. It has a thing in it, which is called the uh, Tabata workout, which is called which is a high intensity interval workout. So, what it does is that it has these uh, sets of four minutes of continuous exercise, where there is it's twenty seconds of an exercise, ten seconds of rest, and then twenty seconds of an exercise, ten seconds of rest until that four minute circuit is over, with a minute in between. Now. We do this for seven circuits. So that's about 35 minutes on average. Okay. So on one end, this totally sucks. <laughs> the first time I did it, I couldn't breathe or anything. And the effort required to get through it was excruciating. But because I have been doing this for so long, I now would consider myself relatively healthy. But I had to put the time and effort in to understand why the results of this program were actually so good. Like now I breathe more freely. I have actual muscles, all that stuff. I don't just sit on my butt all day and play video games or read or be intellectual, which is nice, right? I am understanding exercise by kind of putting the effort and dedication in. And I think the same goes for games that have inaccessible elements to them right so fighting games and competitive multiplayer and all these things and maybe we could even say dark souls dark souls is not all that accessible either uh that's a whole nother topic that but is that's a whole, a whole nother topic. topic i know we'll leave it alone for now but i think there's a sense of doing difficult things and then getting over those hurdles of not being able to understand why this exists or why that exists in this game or how this works there's a sense of satisfaction in actually overcoming that obstacle of inaccessibility to some players, which means those games are just never going to be the, you know, top selling best games ever to a vast majority of the population. But to people who like those kinds of games and like making it over this, you know, metaphorical hill, let's say, and they like they do it over and over and over again until they get it. It's a satisfying experience. So I'm not sure whether all games should be like that, but I think having some games that are like that with a very high amount of depth and a high skill curve are things that are necessary in the video game realm to appeal to different kinds of people. So there you go. That's the long and the short of it for me. I don't always want the same game experience every time I feel like playing a game. Sometimes I want more of a challenge. Sometimes I want something easier. So that makes some sense. I, I like the exercise analogy, too. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just thought about because on one end, right, I wanted to get f- good at fighting games. On the other end, I wanted to be healthy. And time commitment-wise and energy-wise, I had to kind of make a decision on what do I want to be better at, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> my own personal health or uh, a fighting game. <laughs> you chose Paragon. Uh, we, yeah. And at a point, I had to go, well, I think exercise might be more important. Because Zachary wants one day to have a smoking hot wife. Yeah! (laughs) So if you're a smoking hot girl and you're listening to this podcast... Wait, is this like an evangelical church? Are we talking about our smoking hot wives? 
<laughs> I don't know. I'm just joking. That, that's a stereotype, Ted. We don't, we don't encourage stereotypes. No, actually, I was at a breakfast meeting about two weeks ago, and the guy leading it was unmarried and young. And he's like, and I work out every day, and I work hard because I want to meet my smoking hot wife one day. <laughs> what? That's what he said. That's not a good reason to work out. <laughs> <laughs> that was his motivation. But probably competitive fighting gamers uh, have their own uh, smoking hot wives too or girls or groupies or something. If that's your motivation, guys. This will be an saying. interesting metaphor. Yeah, I try yeah. my best. You know, tomorrow's my anniversary, four-year anniversary. Woo! Congrats. Yeah. Congrats. Congratulations. So I won't Jeez, be playing any video games tomorrow night. I'll be going out to dinner and a winner is you. And that's right. It's not easy. I <laughs> promise you that. That takes some skill. <laughs> it, it does. High skill. You have, to, high you have skill. to know when to play the game and when to put the game down for sure. Marriage. High skill cap. <laughs> <laughs> Learning curve. High. It would be great actually in marriage if you did have like combo rewards and you would get that instant no. gratification that you did no. the right thing. No. You're like, I'm going to give my wife flowers. You yeah. know, bonus achievement, you know, or something like that. <laughs> a little logo here. <laughs> flowers I'm smell. Sorry, but that just sounds like a horrible idea. 5G. <laughs> flowers smell nice. <laughs> no, I can see that going horribly wrong. Trophies. Yeah. Well, that actually reminds me of a video I saw. Someone actually had something similar to that. Um, what if you could DLC patch your uh, significant other? Like early access. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, it's called Good oh, Game. Man. They've got three episodes out yet. They're actually doing a fairly decent job considering they're just in a little indie outfit. But um, they've had some very interesting uh, relationship-based ones. Like their first one, I think, was about how um, alien isolation ruined a guy was ruining the guy's marriage, and it's not the way you'd expect. And it ends very interestingly. <laughs> and That's on that funny. note, before we take our metaphors a little too far. I think we should end this podcast. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts from the lot of you? <laughs> Games can be many things. Games can Let be people many play things. what they want to play. So and there are many off. games that play those games. Yeah, and if you can and make they a all game, have their own yeah. goals. And if you can make a uh, game more accessible, that's good too. Yeah. Give or take. Got to leave something for us hardcore noobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the gaming industry is pretty strong, in my opinion. I know people talk about layoffs and all these other things going on in the industry, but it is a billion-dollar industry. So the odds are you're going to continue to get games that you like, and I'm probably going to continue to get games I like. So that's encouraging. As as mankind, we've been doing games for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. That's true. Well said. All right. Sir David. On that positive note, we will begin the shameless self-promotion ver- part of our podcast. Ted, where can we find you? I told you, stop following me. Don't look for me anywhere. <laughs> but if oh, you have Ted. to, I have a wildmanted.com site that I sometimes update. Do you have a Twitter account? I think so. I don't know what it is. Sorry. I have a Twitter there. account. They're sitting right beside me. <laughs> The last thing on Ted's Twitter is a uh, something on chilies. Oh, the plate of food that was served yeah, from from a chilies. It was oh, horrible. Oh, Ted, you tweet food. 
<laughs> oh, it was Ted. Terrible. That's what it, Instagram is for. Ted. It like nothing on the menu. Really? Because <laughs> I, I heard. Disappointed in you. I heard that corporations monitor Twitter, so I thought I would just put that on there and see if. Chili's might respond you are to right. a negative tweet. I think you were supposed to put at Chili's. Actually, what? Don't they have like a Twitter account? You have to actually tweet them. I, 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 I don't. don't. It's changed, but I wouldn't bet on Chili's being very nice to you. They're really not very welcoming to allergy people last time I checked. They, I'm uh, 47 years old. I don't know how to use Twitter. <laughs> I love Chili's. <laughs> I could eat oh, there I like all the it time. Too. It just it was a, a My parents did too until they told point. them basically uh, F you we're gonna just you know not worry about allergens in our food. So if your son has anaphylactic shock, well up yours. <laughs> I think that says that in the menu in a small print. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> underneath the, had this on a sign outside of one at one point. So we underneath the gorgeous picture of enchiladas that I did not receive. <laughs> there's, a, there's an asterisk next to the Southwestern egg rolls <laughs> warning if you have allergies. F you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that whatever they served me, that's like they were carrying it and then they dropped it on the floor and then hastily tried to put it back on the plate. Wait, that's how bad. You don't want to harp on them too much. <laughs> Wait, what did you order? It was like a smothered enchilada dish. So it had three enchiladas with some sauce, okay. some beans, and some rice. Isn't that how – like smothered means like messy. <laughs> That's how it always Listen, Mothering is not a positive word in most in cases. The menu. I saw the picture in the, the menu. The picture never That was not same. what was on the plate. The Next thing I know, Ted, you're going to tell me that McDonald's burgers look like they do in their advertisements. They don't have They to. certainly don't taste like it. <laughs> Actually, Domino's well, not, If the ones in the you know commercials are cardboard, then yes, they do. They taste exactly the same. Actually, no, they Domino's. have to be real food in the commercials. They can't use fake food. No, Domino's actually uses the real uh, pizza in their commercials. They have. Do they to. still use white paint for milk? No, Domino's had a whole like ad campaign. They redid the whole recipe, and now it's like better no, tasting. No, when general people most are advertising cereal. food, they are legally required to actually show their yeah, product. Otherwise, oh, it's good. false advertising. They could be sued. Yeah. But I that doesn't that mean some... they don't, you know, show their product wow, in the best possible light. Extra topic we've done later yeah, on. Yeah, well, it's like food porn. You know, you have to like, there has to be like the right lighting and you have to look at it correctly and then it like it has to be the most, you know, evocative of the food to get people to buy the stuff. I saw a video actually put out by McDonald's how they, they did it, but they actually do have to get the actual product from a McDonald's and then they are allowed to like however many pickles it's supposed to come with. Okay. They'll take the pickles and they'll sort of move it to the edge so that the camera will show, hey, there's pickles in here. You know, They have to arrange it so that you can sort of see what the product is, but that's different from what the product is. Looks like you know on an everyday basis. You yeah, don't it can't be like a plastic. It can't right. be like a plastic meat thing with a non-nutritive varnish that makes yeah. it like shine like the sun. Yeah. <laughs> I just anyway. know that when they did some older like cereal commercials, they actually used white paint in replacement of the milk. Yeah, I don't think they're allowed to do that. So maybe maybe there's been a change. That's my understanding of yeah, food. No cost. one's doing the Van Gogh diet of eating paint with their cereal now. <laughs> White paint with cereal, really? It seems I think like because it was cheaper than milk. <laughs> no, seriously, Van Gogh would know. actually lick his um, 
his paints when he was doing them. I, I, yeah, he died of basically going insane and lead poisoning. Lead poisoning, yeah. <laughs> Should we get back to self-promotion? <laughs> so anyway, yes, I did put something on Twitter. I guess it's uh, – my full name is Ted Loring, so that if you really want to see that picture – Because you're going to now. Do a Twitter of Ted Loring, but I don't know about hashtags. Do a Twitter. Yeah. That, that, that sounds like a command in a board game. All listeners, if you could do hashtag Ted Loring and then type whatever you want, you'd make <laughs> really? me really happy. What would happen if, that, if, if they did that? Oh, Let's get I, it to trend. I, I gotta do that now. Hashtag Ted Loring hates smothered enchiladas. What is what is this hashtag thing anyway? I mean, what what does it do? Basically, it's a branding thing. Like you know, if it says hashtag twenty fourteen, then anyone who uses the hashtag twenty fourteen will show up alongside your tweets. So basically, it's just you know, kind of like crowdsourcing it together, gathering your feelings about it together. Yeah. Like well, and it'll show it on the side. It'll say trending. It'll show you a bunch of things that people are using as hashtags, like hashtag Gamergate last year, or hashtag New Year's resolutions, or stuff like hashtag that. Hashtag right? I don't well, care. I challenge anybody that's hearing this to try this hashtag thing out, so I can understand it because I have I'd no be idea. Careful because, um, well, uh, last week tonight did that, um, and it, they, they actually got responses. Well, that's you. I'm me. Nobody's going to respond to me. I'm gonna. Okay, here we go. Hashtag Ted Loring. I am live hashtagging. Are right, you? Ted Loring. I, all right, I'm getting up my Twitter as well. Why you hate chilies? Oh, I got to put at chilies, right? At chilies. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't forget that there's other shameless self-promotion that needs to happen, but the this is important. food I ever ate. Okay, Ted, you deserve that one. All right. Actually, wait. <laughs> What is your tw- – oh, I found it. I found it. I the, found great, it. the great Stop search. Stop following me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Elijah, you need to shamelessly self-promote yourself. All right. Um, you can find me contributing articles at Gameskinny as Elijah Beam. You can find me on YouTube at um, – well, yeah, at uh, Unabridged Gamer. Um, yeah. uh, also, check that – Check that link I just sent you in the chat right there. And um, you can also follow me on Twitter at, at @paradigmfallen. Okay. That's a lot of things. And uh, where can we find the prince? I'm antisocial. <laughs> I don't have Twitter. Don't look me up on Facebook, and I don't write reviews. So okay. there. So have no fun. one go look for you. is what Stay you away. And if they try, good luck. Stay away from me. <laughs> I get enough Prince comments already from Elijah. You the but fresh- your highness, it is only befitting for me to honor your grand stature. He's the fresh Root prince. The head. I'm signing on to Twitter now, so let's see if I can see if there's any Twittering going on. Yeah, you'll have to look, click on the you- hashtag. What, what hashtag is it again, specifically? Hashtag Ted Loring. You need to put that on. Oh, uh, I do have self-promotion. I build websites and I make music. There we go. <laughs> smooth, smooth. Don't follow me. Don't come to me. Oh, actually, if you want to pay me, yes, talk to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's my job. What can I say? I, I typed in hashtag Ted Loring into Google, and it did give me two search results. And both of them were Ted Loring on Google+. Plus. I can't. Remember my password for Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I guess that's pretty sad. 
And on that note. <laughs> and on that note, I think we could wrap this podcast up. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. Oh, there we go. oh it, yeah, you did it. It worked. I see it. Hooray. <laughs> Yay. All right. Well, Don't this is. Feel special. You. Hey. Hey. Sorry. <laughs> Stop not letting me end this podcast. Why? Uh, all right. Well, uh, quick, quick update thing. Uh, if you want to talk to us, we're usually on Theology Gaming University, which is our Facebook group. Ask for an invite. You can get right in. And if you disagree with us vehemently, you can express your displeasure at the things we say. And if you'd really like to express your displeasure, you can also go to our uh, iTunes page where you can just look up the LG Gaming Podcast. We're on there. Subscribe. Give us a five-star rating if you like us. Don't give us anything if you don't because that doesn't really help us. If you didn't like us at all, you're better off just, you know, getting angry at us. and uh, talk got very If you don't like yes, it, send a Twitter down? tweet to Ted Loring. Yeah, and put hashtag at Ted Loring uh, sucks. S-U-X. Whichever, but I want to see if that actually happens. Whoa! If it happens. Something else came in. Sorry. <laughs> that was probably me. All right. Well, uh, this has been the Theology Game Podcast, oh, yeah. and uh, I'll see you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. I need, I need buys from all of you. Sorry. <laughs> Goodbye! I Goodbye! So long! <laughs>